and it's hard work. I mean, I think there's a naivete that, oh, I don't know it. So F it. I'm going to go numb myself with my alcohol or my porn or my sports or my whatever. And you got to slow down. Again, wake up, realize this isn't a dress rehearsal. I've got a bunch of exercises on that. And then the practical exercises, fast forward three to five years and imagine your best self. Three to five years from now, imagine your best self. You're energized, you're productive, you're connected. Heroically so. this episode. I just wanted to let you know that Monday we are having our monthly call for patrons. So if you're interested in supporting the podcast and being a member of our community and coming to our monthly live Q&A calls with me, you still have time if you want to get in for November. If you join the patron uh, page, if you join the Patreon at $10 a month or more, you get access to those. And if you join over the weekend, then you will still be able to come to the call on Monday. So just Google Dear Men Podcast, Patreon, it'll come up, it will come up right away and you can just join that and I will um, email you the link for Monday. Um, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I would love to hear your thoughts. You can always get me at dearmenpodcast at gmail.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode. I am thrilled to have Brian Johnson with me today. He is an author and an influencer, and he's one of my man's favorite people. So it's very exciting. <laughs> like I have a, a hero on my show today, which is apt because his app is heroic and his uh, um, new book, which we'll we'll talk about, is also sort of basically about heroism, really our our us being our own heroes, us becoming the heroes that we've always been known deep inside us that we were, but not always been able to access. That's my interpretation. So welcome to the show. Melanie, I am thrilled to be here. And I am so thrilled that uh, your man and I were already connected before we connected, but really looking forward to our chat. Yes, I was just flipping through your book at his place earlier today. So I can't Uh, think of a more powerful connection than that. That is so cool. (laughs) Well, I'm happy to have you on. I think this is um, part of what we're going to be talking today, talking about today is the journey, the hero's journey, (laughs) which is in the way that we're framing it is has to do with going from unstuck or sorry, going from stuck to unstuck to thriving. And that is a trajectory that not everyone makes it to, right? We have different seasons of our lives when we're in stuck, then we're in unstuck, and then we're in thriving and different parts of our lives can go through those. But it's something that I see a lot in my clients is feeling deeply stuck in an area. Often it's sex or intimacy or relationships because that's what I do. But what I notice is that as they move from stuck to unstuck, then there's a whole other level possible after that that's not even been addressed. So I'm curious if you can start us off with a personal story of your own experience of what was stuck? What, what is what was a time when you felt stuck? What was that like for you? And how did you get unstuck? What a great way to frame it up. So um, 
I happened to be in a documentary about the hero's journey um, called Finding Joe with Deepak Chopra, Laird Hamilton, Tony Hawk, and some other great teachers. Um, and I share a story I can share with you here now, but but the basic hero's journey, and I think when people are stuck, they're, they're not taking the first steps in the, the hero's journey. So there are three parts to it. So the hero is called to adventure. So the hero is called to express a better version of themselves than they may be currently expressing, whether that's in their energy, their work, or their love, or all three, or whatever. Um, and to the extent you don't answer that call, you will suffer, period. So, you know, we have, as Abraham Maslow says, capacities clamoring to be used. And if you aren't using those capacities, you're going to be stuck. And so that's the fundamental part of my work is to help people get unstuck, to activate their heroic potential. But first, you got to slow down long enough from all the inputs, the news, the social media, the sports, whatever it is, and create some silence and just some space in your life to ask, what do I want? And pay attention to that little quiet voice that's always there. And you, you know what you want. If you actually slow down long enough to say, this is what I want. Energy-wise, I want to feel like this. And I want to look like this. And I want to be like this. Work-wise, yeah, 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 I want to start that business. Or I want to leave this job. Or I want to do whatever. Um, and then love-wise, yeah, yeah, I want a deeper level of intimacy. Of which, for me, sex is a byproduct and an expression of the other two things, by the way. Energy and work. And being the type of man that's frankly attractive to women, which is one who is grounded in their truths and living their heroic journey. To the extent you're not and you're stuck in that phase, which we all are at times, good luck with the rest of the stuff. But you answer the call and then you fight dragons. Well, you get a guide, you get buddies, you know, all the archetypal things. Um, but then you got to battle your dragons. And that's not easy. So embrace the, the challenges, embrace the hardness of life, you know, and, and have that masculine strength for two um, to be your best self. Um, you win, you learn, you know, you win, you learn, you get a little better, and then you come back. That's phase two. Phase three is you come back with the boon, as Joseph Campbell says. Your consciousness, your beingness is transformed in the process of you answering the call, battling your dragons with your buddies, and then coming back. And then that's your gift to the world and to your women uh, or woman in your life um, or kids for me and my family and my community. Um, but those are the three steps of the hero's journey. And to the extent you are resisting any one of those three steps, you're going to suffer. You're going to feel stuck. Um, stated positively, as you take those steps forward, you embrace the pain, the uncertainty, and the hard work of life. As my coach, Phil Stutz, puts it in his documentary, Stutz, then you start to experience that joy. And then everything becomes um, more uh, activated that you want to see more of in your life. Yeah. And do you have a, a, a story of your own of a time? Sorry, when I didn't get to the story. I gave you the, okay. I gave you the archetype. I can give you a million of them. Um, I mean, the, the most like black and white one is I'm going to law school. I drop out of law school. This is 25 years ago. I can give you a more recent one, but I'm going to law school. Um, I know I don't want to be there. I'm the youngest of five kids, first generation, blue collar, lower middle class family. Um, anyway, I drop out of law school. And the only thing that I want to do are, you know, coach a little league baseball team and contemplate ending my own life. That's where I was 25 years ago. Uh, I was as stuck as you can possibly be without resources like this conversation. I had none of this wisdom or discipline and all that stuff. 
Um, yet the only thing I knew I wanted to do, even at that time, was coach a Little League baseball team. So I did that. I had the courage to leave law school. I answered the call. I left. Just really dark time in my life. But I had that little bit of bliss, as Joseph Campbell would say. I coached Little League baseball team. In the process, I had an idea, 1998, 1999, that every team in the world and would be using the web like ESPN for youth sports. Anyway, I, I followed that, and then I followed that, and then I followed that. Then I created a company, won a business plan competition at UCLA's Anderson School, raised five million bucks, hired the CEO of Adidas to replace me, um, and all because I was willing to answer the call and go into that darkness, which is rule number one, by the way. Uh, you're supposed to enter the forest at the darkest spot. And sometimes life, sometimes life throws you into that spot with a divorce, with a job loss, with a health crisis. And sometimes you've got to move into that through choices you're making, which may involve a divorce or a job move or getting your health back in order or whatever. But anyway, that's a really like poignant moment. And I've had a number of those, but that, that's kind of the most salient one. Yeah, I'm glad you spoke to that because I... I can't tell you the number of clients that I've had. And I think just like you said, life is hard. Life is really, really hard in many different ways. And most people I know have had a moment of thinking about not being here anymore. And we don't talk about it a lot. It's not something we're sort of like sharing with our friends all the time. But a lot of the men that I've worked with, I myself have had that moment. And a lot of my friends, a lot of people I've talked to when it really comes down to it have had that moment. And there is something grounding, I find, about the the archetypes that we're talking about, about the hero's journey and understanding that there are patterns that we all tend to go through. And to your point, resisting the call <laughs> is what is what leads to the suffering. Answering the call and taking the actions, even when you don't know exactly where they're going to go is part of the solution. And I I really respect, I just want to highlight a moment that you talked about. I didn't know what else I wanted to do, but I knew that I wanted to coach Little League Baseball. That is not a logical, quote unquote, logical step <laughs> at the point in your life that you were describing. I'm in law school. I have this plan to win at capitalism, right? It's like everything we've been taught in the West. Like I'm in, I'm in law school. I'm going to be a lawyer. I'm going to make all this money. I'm going to I'm going to be great and I'm going to do the thing that my culture says. And you answered the call, which was, I really don't want to do that. It's actually making me want to kill myself. <laughs> but what I really want to do is coach Little League Baseball, which makes no sense from the surface. There's no way that that is actually a logical step, but you were willing to follow it. And I think that's one of the things that I see over and over in my clients is like you said, the little voice, the little, the quiet voice that's like, go here, do this, that's whispering in your ear, our culture doesn't really teach us how to listen to that. It teaches us something else. But you were willing to do that, and that led you to your next step, and it led you to your next step, and it led you to your next step because the path unfolds as we walk it. But what we're taught is have a five-year plan, have a 10-year plan. I'm not saying those are bad, but I'm saying in real life, in spirituality, a lot of the times the the path unfolds as we as we go along and that includes things like divorce and health issues like you said the breakdowns because if there's anything i've seen is true breakdowns can lead to breakthroughs and i'm imagining that that you've probably witnessed that in your do you call them clients oh my or you talk about yeah yeah 
Oh, yeah, yeah. So then Richard Rohr, the great, um, I mean, he's a Franciscan monk uh, activist. Richard Rohr wrote a book called Falling Upward. It, it, this is the rule. This isn't the exception. You have to break down in order to build back up. And in, in, in my work, we talk about it in seven objectives. The first objective of my coach certification program we have, the, the everything in our app and in the book is you got to know the ultimate game. So the thing when you when you mentioned the path, you know, it made me think of that. So a journey of a thousand miles begins with the first step. But if that step is in the wrong direction, the faster you go, the further away you get from the right destination. So Stephen Covey used a similar or a different metaphor to, to make the same point. He said a lot of people get up to the top of the ladder and realize they put it on the wrong wall. So society has seduced us to go after fame, wealth, and hotness the extrinsic factors. And they also tell us, sciences say, that even if you're successful in the pursuit of fame, wealth, and hotness, you are less, and I swear I've said this, I don't know how many times, but I get goosebumps every time. Even if you're successful in that pursuit, you will be less, quote, psychologically stable than people who are pursuing intrinsic motivators like being a better person, deepening relationships, and making a contribution. Um, so it's really important that we know the ultimate game. The ultimate game was, and I couldn't articulate it then, but this is what I was pursuing. I wanted to be my best self in service to something bigger than myself. And the path I was on was not it, and unquestionably not it. And then your your point about my willingness to enter that darkness is, is key. Joseph Campbell says, you have to enter the forest at the darkest point. The only true sign that it isn't your path um, is if there is a path, <laughs> you can't follow someone else's path. But that takes an extraordinary amount of courage, um, discipline, love for yourself and for your life and for those you're here to serve, um, and the wisdom to know that a good life is one hero's journey after another. And in fact, a good life is, and a good day is one hero's journey after another. So even right now, you and I are going to have choices in our conversation to answer the call. You can ask a question that you may be wondering, should I ask that question? And you can answer the call. I can respond authentically and transparently and share my own desire to end my own life, knowing that I think that's what I need to go. So all day, every day, we have a choice. Do you step forward into your growth and answer the call um, or not? And to the extent there's a lot of gaps in between who you could have been and who you're actually being, you're going to want to numb yourself at the end of the day, and, and you won't have the intimacy with yourself or with anyone else in your life. So it's a really important um, subject that I'm really thrilled we just got right into because we got to know that game, step back. Then we start saying, well, what do you want? What do you really want in your life? And 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 I find that to be a really powerful way to get unstuck um, and then to really feel alive with purpose, with meaning, with a deep sense of confidence um, and all that other stuff that we're looking for. You know, it's interesting you mentioned that part about... Um our conversation and which question to ask and, oh, is this question too edgy or is this answer too edgy? You know, am I oversharing, et cetera? Because I've run connection events for a lot of my life. And one of the games that we play is called curiosity. And we have people split up into pairs and there's one person asking questions and the other one is, re is receiving, is answering questions. And then we have them give each other feedback. And consistently at connection events all across the world that I've been to, one of the main pieces of feedback from the person receiving the questions is ask me deeper questions. Wow. Ask me what you really want to know. And the rule, the only rule of the game is you have to be genuinely curious about the question you're asking. 
So no small talk questions, no questions you should think you should ask. The only rule is you have to be genuinely curious. So it's interesting because that the there's an element of risk that I think is um, correlated with aliveness. When we're taking healthy risks, we tend to feel more alive. And if there's anything that I coach my clients on in relationship as well as as single men, it's take more healthy risks. And we, you know, in yoga, we say stretch, not tear. I'm not talking about take unhealthy risks, not putting yourself out there to the extent that you will be crushed if you, you know, but healthy risks, take the healthy risks, you know, bring up the hard thing with your spouse, create some space for that, or walk up to that woman at the event. Mm. You don't need to do more than that at this point. Just walk over there and see what happens, but take the action, Mm -hmm. take healthy risks. And I think that's, that's part of what Um, That's what I heard in that story about coaching baseball is that was a healthy risk. That was a risk. Everyone in your life was probably like, what the hell are you doing? This makes no sense. But you were willing to take a healthy risk. And that's what led you to the next step on your path. Yeah. And I was right there on the tear. So that was a, you know, and, and your point is beautiful, which is we don't, that that's, that's big, you know, and I went to law school and I was a young man at that time more hair, less great whiskers and all that stuff, you know, but, but that's an example of like a, whoa, okay, cool. And that's important at times. But then we also want to do what we're talking about now too, which is 4%, 4%, 4% out of your comfort zone. And it doesn't need to be blow your whole life up and all these things. I ended a relationship of five years in the same 48 hour period of time. It was unbelievably nearly catastrophic. I mean, I barely made it through that phase, you know, but when we, and now what I coach is Take those micro risks, you know, just just prove to yourself that you have what it takes. Um, you're going to be okay. Not only that, that's where your infinite potential exists, just outside of your comfort zone. So it's a truism, but get comfortable being uncomfortable. And the more you do that, the more your comfort zone expands. But I, I love it. And I love the, um, I got goosebumps a couple of times when you were describing that connection. And I thought of Brene Brown and being living wholeheartedly. And what most people want from everyone else is their vulnerability. What most people are least willing to give is their vulnerability, um, which I would translate to courage, frankly. I like vulnerable, but I like courageous. It's an active, agenic, I'm doing something. I'm moving towards something. Um, And yeah, I'm exposing myself, but with strength, you know, with confidence and not oversharing and being obnoxious about it. But um I love it. And and it just hits on so many themes I think are essential to our conversation. I really like that distinction between courageous and and vulnerable. And one of the things I've seen repeatedly and which I've drilled into my clients is the win is not the outcome. So if you're, let's say, initiating sex with your wife in a kind of a different way, the win is not whether she says yes and you have sex. That's not the win. The win is, did you do it? That's the win. Were you courageous? Were you bold? Did you did you move? Did you take action? Did you try something? That's the win. And we will celebrate the hell out of you for doing that because it's not about whether it works out. It's about whether you're courageous. And I think this is a really good segue into how does a man become more courageous? And you know, you've talked about um anti-fragility, which I think is yeah. pretty relevant here, but for for the men out there that are listening, they're like, this sounds great. I want to be more courageous. But then, oh my God, what if she says no? <laughs> right? What if, what if a man actually do to become more courageous? 
Perfect. I love it. I mean, so many things arise. So the distinction, that distinction on vulnerability and courage I got from a dear friend of mine who's a former Navy SEAL commander. And he talks about, look, SEALs aren't vulnerable. They're courageous. You know what I mean? You, you, can't, you can't put yourself out there and be a hero in that sense of protecting. You're not trying to be vulnerable. Like that, that's not what you, you want to be strong in the pursuit, taking healthy risks, as you beautifully said. Um, so I think of I think of that. And then I think of another dear friend of mine who's a former Major League Baseball player. People, men listening to this may know him. Sean Casey, he's on Major League Baseball Network, was the New York Yankees hitting coach, right? So I tell a story about him in the book where he was batting nearly 400 coming to the All-Star break, which is insane. He's a three-time Major League Baseball player, a great hitter, batted 300 for his career. Very credible for men, right? As a peak performer, et cetera. Now, he had the best coach of the era, a guy named Harvey Dorfman. And I'm going to get to the point on process versus outcome. So he's batting nearly 400 in the summer, which is insane. He goes 0 for 12, which sucks in any season for a professional baseball player, especially when you're playing that well. He calls his coach, Harvey Dorfman, and he says, you know, Dorf, you know, I'm 0 for 12 and da 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 And Harvey says, all right, all right, I hear you. But are you working your protocol? Are you doing the things that we said you would do? Goosebumps. Are you X, Y, and Z with your wife or with your, you know, your trying, your single guy trying to meet the woman of your dreams? Are, are you doing the things you said you would do process-wise, protocol-wise? And Sean says, yeah, I'm doing this. I'm doing this. I'm hitting the ball hard. And this has happened. But that guy made this catch and this guy. And Dorfman, you know, uh, wasn't afraid to drop bombs. He's like, what the, what are you calling me for? You know, just just get back to work. Keep on do work in your protocol. Why are you calling me? Click, hangs up on him. Process. That's that's what we want here. And there's something about being the type of man, human being, but man in this context, who does what you say you will do, whether you feel like it or not. And that's how you build confidence in yourself, not whether you get the result. We're all in, committed to being committed and working our protocol, especially when we don't feel like it. And that type of confidence is the very thing that's going to attract the woman that you want or rehabilitate a relationship that might have been um, less than what you want. Um, that's the source of true confidence. And, and I talk about it in the book too, uh, as moral charisma. Like what I'm trying to do with the people I train is, I want to activate what I call their soul force, which Gandhi named, Martin Luther King talked about in his I Have a Dream speech. So a human being who is living in integrity with their highest values has a felt sense of moral charisma. It's all ancient philosophy was about cultivating this. Um, and that's that's what I'm all about. It, we all have it latent within us. And when you do the things you say you will do, whether it's in the dating world or in the bedroom or eating, moving, sleeping, breathing, focusing your mind, being with your kids in a certain way, that's the most attractive thing my wife tells me I could ever do. Ah. You know, here you go, honey, dishes. There you go. I'm responding to tiny little bids, you know, and building that intimacy of trust. But anyway, it's all process all the time. And I think the strong, grounded, humble, calm, confident, um, masculine, truly integrated man, those little things matter. We execute. We do what needs to get done, whether we feel like it or not. And again, there's a felt sense of rightness to that. That's attractive in every relationship. Um from your kids to your spouse to your colleagues, your clients, et cetera. Yeah, part of what I'm hearing in, in terms of how to be more courageous is to take those steps yourself and then follow through. 
And I'm sure that you talk about this, but I would love to hear from you. You know, you talked about protocol and you talked about process. One of the things that we talk about with our men is making it winnable, right? Making your process or your morning practice, let's say, winnable so that it's not too much. You're not biting off more than you can chew because what a lot of people do is they're like, great, yes, I'm going to meditate for an hour a day and I'm going to do this exercise class and do all these things. And then they don't. And then they beat themselves up about it and they have a really hard time forgiving themselves and that spirals them down. And I'm sure that you are very, very familiar with this cycle. So can you talk a little bit about process and protocol in your life and what you, what you recommend in terms of realistic, winnable processes and protocols? Yeah. Um, love it. And again, this is the fifth objective in our coach and our book and all that stuff. You got to master yourselves. So there is an art and science to behavioral change of which making things winnable is a key component. So there's a reason why James Clear, the best-selling book in the world right now, Atomic a self-development book, is called Atomic Habits. There's a reason why his mentor and everyone's mentor in the space, BJ Foggs, named his book Tiny Habits. We want to make sure that you're winnable, but there's... Um, just stepping back, the other distinction that BJ Fogg makes out of the Stanford behavioral design is most men and women, when they fail at installing or deleting habits, which we all have, at a, at a certain point, you kind of give up, whether consciously or unconsciously, and you tell yourself the story that something is wrong with you. You think you must have a character flaw. He says, I, I playfully say maybe, but probably not. What the real issue here is you have a design flaw. You haven't been taught how to install and delete habits. And in the book, I tell a story about playing laser tag with my son. We showed up late for laser tag, right? And um, the guy's like, hey, you're going to miss the training, and uh, but I can get you in. And he said, you're too late. And I'm like, is there any way we can get in? Because we wouldn't have been able to stay and play the next one. He's like, yeah, but you've missed the training. My son had just gone the prior week, um, and he's he knew how to play. And I'm I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, you know, I haven't played in 40 years, but it's laser tag. Do I really need to get instructions? So I'm like, dude, if you can get us in, that'd be great. We go in right when you, you're starting the game. So I put on the vest, I got my laser, you know, and I go out and I absolutely suck. And I'm going to bring it back to the point on character versus design flaw. Now, my wife had played earlier in the week and she got a minus 99 score. And the guys there said they'd never seen a score that bad. And we laughed about it with her and at her, right? It was awesome. And we all had fun with it. I'm sitting there 10 minutes into a 20-minute game, and I'm horrible. I'm minus 100 in laser tag. I'm like, I'm worse than my wife. And my, my dialogue right now, not that I'm worse than her in a lot of things, but I didn't expect to be worse than her at, at laser tag. My, my dialogue is, I am an idiot. I swear to God, I'm, I'm, I'm an idiot. I'm sweating out of anxiety of, oh my God, I'm, my mental toughness is eroding, right? And I want to quit. I literally want to walk out. Anyway, I fiddle around with the laser and it turns out there's a button on the top of the gun that I needed to hold down while I pulled the trigger, right? And I didn't know that until I accidentally discovered it. And all of a sudden I knew how to play the game, goosebumps. And now I go out and I'm channeling my inner Navy SEAL, you know, and I'm having a good time. So the moral of the story is laser tag is a lot more fun when you know how to play the game. So is life. And there are certain things you need to do. Um, and we can talk about them real quick, but installing and deleting, the first thing, if you want to install a habit, if it's meditation, trip over your meditation cushion when you're getting out of bed. Make the trigger, the cue, the prompt that drives the behavior obvious. Then to your point, make it easy. 
So don't meditate for 60 minutes, meditate for one minute or one breath, install the behavior, then optimize for it. But you need to be able to do the behavior on the days you're least motivated. And you do that by making it tiny. Then, so one is make the trigger, the cue, the prompt for the behavior obvious. Make it easy is number two. And number three, celebrate immediately. So BJ Fogg says, don't wait 30 days to reward yourself. The moment you do the thing you said you would do, give yourself a fist pump or whatever you do to celebrate intensely and immediately. Because what we're doing every time we do the thing we said we would do, walking across the room to stand next to a woman, asking our wife if she'd be interested in doing X, Y, or Z, or even having that hard conversation to repair damage that had been created before. Every time you do that, you give yourself a true celebration because we need to forge a self-image and an identity that is is you at your best. But anyway, those are the three things that I teach um, distilling all those different teachers And it's so important that we get good at that and we give ourselves time and reps to practice it um, so we can become masters at the design um, rather than shaming ourselves and then giving up and all that stuff. That's really helpful. And I think there's a lot of really fascinating, to your point, behavioral science that that you harness, that I observe you harnessing in your work and making it really palatable and practical and easy to digest. I used to write for a behavioral scientist in Silicon Valley, and I was constantly surprised by the things that she came up with and and the, the studies that were done. And to your point, one of hers was she was really annoyed at her husband for leaving dirty socks and dirty clothes out around the room all the time. And hmm. most people would say, oh, if you loved me, you would pick up. Right? Why aren't you picking up more? And sort of to your point, the shaming can happen in a relationship as well as to ourselves. If like, you're not doing this behavior or you are doing this behavior that I want you to stop. Why aren't you stopping? It must be because you don't care about me <laughs> versus the design. And so eventually what she did was put a hamper really, you know, in the middle of the space, right? Right. Where he would come out of the shower and all of that. And it worked. It worked. There was a, there was a design solution to a relationship issue, which most of us don't think about most of the time. And not every relationship issue is going to have an easy fix like that. But I really liked what you said about it's not a character flaw. It's a design flaw. And that's one of the things, you know, one of the major things that I um, see in my work and I, Dying to know if you see this in yours. I don't know how much your population talks about sexuality and intimacy, but porn addiction is a really big deal. And it's one of the major reasons that men beat themselves up. And it has a lot, you know, there's a lot of correlations between watching a lot of porn, not being able to get an erection when you want one, for example. There's a bunch of detrimental effects and it can sap your energy. You know, sometimes my co-coach Jason said a lot of times he would stay up really late because he was watching porn and then his whole next day would be affected. So when it comes to habits like that, I'm curious to hear from you. One of the things that we talk about is this isn't about porn. This is, this is a, the porn, porn addiction isn't really about porn. Most addiction isn't really about the substance involved or the behavior involved. It's about trauma and it's about lack of connection. So building in connection routines, building in more connection, having more community and connection in your life, you will usually find that the the detrimental behavior starts to go away because you're getting your deeper needs met. Can you say a little about that in terms of protocol and um, 
and process and connection needs. Cause I think that's something yep. that gets in our culture a lot. We're like, Oh, diet, alcohol, sleep better, all this stuff, but we miss social connection. Yeah, no question. I mean, it's a food, you know, it, it's a substance that nourishes us. No question. And I would also offer that connection to ourselves in particular, our best selves. So the, the Greek word for joy and happiness and, and meaning and flourishing is eudaimonia, which means good soul. So daimon is soul. So they believe that within each of us, we have this daimon, this guiding spirit. And the Romans took that Greek idea and they called the daimon genius. So in ancient times, it wasn't that that guy is a genius. It was we all have our genius, our guiding spirit. Um, and when we did something great, it was the, the genius or the daimon that did it. But anyway, we have a daimon within us, but the diminutive of daimon is demon. That's where demon comes from. It's the diminutive of daimon. So there's the best and the less than awesome version of ourselves. So when you're disconnected from yourself, your daimon, your best self, guess who takes over? Your demon. And then all the, the vicious voices in your head, you know, that are barking at me and you all day long. We feel that loudly. And especially when our eating, our moving, our sleeping, and our focusing on porn or whatever. So when we engage in the behaviors we know are not best for us, we've lost our connection to our daimon. We lose that trust. It gets eroded. Um, so we want to rebuild that. And we talked about how to install a habit. I think it's, it's worth spending a, just a, a couple minutes looking at how to delete the habit. So we had a one, two, three to install. You make the cue, the trigger, the prompt. Nothing happens without a cue, trigger, or prompt. No cue, trigger, prompt. BJ Fogg and others say no behavior. It's Charles Duhigg's habit loop. Everything starts with that. So um, when you want to install something, you make that cue obvious, you make it easy to win, and you celebrate. So you got to do the opposite if you want to delete it. Um, uh, so when I look at, at porn addiction, for example, when I coach guys on with that, it's you got to make the cue invisible. So right now, the, the, your neuro, you're, you're wired. Your brain is pickled, is the way Adam Alter puts it. You take a cucumber, you pickle it. You can't unpickle the cucumber. It's, it's, it's happened, you know? And, and we've all got the things that we've allowed to become neurally kind of addictive for us. And you need to respect that. But you make the cue invisible. So delete the app, delete the, you know, all the things that you know you need to do, but you need to remove the cue, the trigger, the prompt. If you need to get a new computer, get a new computer, you know, like, and just like clean it out. An alcoholic needs to take the alcohol, dump it out. The cue, the trigger, the prompt for the alcohol is right there. The food addict who's binging on food needs to get rid of the refined foods and the sugary drinks. That's why all nutrition books start with that. Clean your pantry. Anyway, you make the cue invisible. Then you make it harder to do. At least make yourself do something weird to reinstall that thing or drive to the liquor store or whatever. And then when you inevitably fall short, um, do what I call needs work it, which is go to the moment where you had a choice and you listen to your demon instead of your daimon and go back there. Don't shame yourself. Have self-compassion. Know you're not alone. Be nice to yourself. Be mindful. Um, and then get clear on what you could have done. Try to get a little bit better next time. But then just to be blunt, you got to, you got to, you need to stop whatever it is that your kryptonite that's destroying your life. That's the fastest way to change your life and to build trust. And Abraham Maslow was intense. He says every single, every single instance of you not following your best self leaves an imprint on your consciousness. You aggregate enough of those, and we all have them. It's not like any of us are ever going to be perfect. He also said there are no perfect human beings. And my joke is, 
me and you aren't going to be the first guys. So let's own our mistakes and just try to get a little bit better. But handling that is is insanely important. And removing kryptonite is one of the fastest way, the fastest way to change your life and build confidence. Um, so I, I firmly believe if you have that, you will never have the depth of intimacy with yourself, your spouse, your or prospective, your kids, your colleagues. You just won't. It's not possible. By definition, we can't. You may have okay, but you're going to feel that gap between who you could be and who you actually are being. Um, Anyway, that's a way to build confidence. It's a way to build courage to do the things that you know you need to be doing, especially when you don't feel like it. It's hard work. That's what a hero does. A hero stands up. They have the strength for two. They do the hard work. Um, and uh, it's more important than ever to me that, that we as men stand up and show up. Like It's just no longer tolerable to allow for that. It's Again, I don't want to be disrespectful, and I'm I'm not perfect. No one is, but that weakness needs to be addressed, and we need to get strong where we were once weakest, and we need to have the humility to realize I'm pickled there, and I, I just need to stop. You know, um, and again, I, I experienced my own challenges. My father struggled with alcohol. His father struggled with alcohol and killed himself. You know, I get it. I understand life is harder than it's ever been. Eighty to ninety percent of us are struggling. Eighty percent or so with invisible disabilities, anxiety, depression, burnout, all the things we're talking about. But there are pathways through which we can gain more of that trust and get all the things we want, which is intimacy and um, success in every aspect of our lives. Well, speaking of success, I think that's an interesting segue because one of the things that I've witnessed in my work over the years is that we often have worked with men who do feel stuck around sex, intimacy, relationships, things like that. And then we work with them and then they're unstuck, right? We get, we get them to unstuck. So they go from stuck to unstuck, or if they're unstuck, but they want to be thriving, we get them from unstuck to thriving, right? So they're moving up this path. And then one of my clients recently asked me the question, he said something to the effect of, it feels like I have to choose between great success in my work life and great success in my family life. Like it really feels like I don't actually have enough energy or time in the day to be able to devote fairly to both of these. And I, and I feel stuck around that. So I'm curious if you can, there's, there's sort of a different trajectory when we're going from one phase to the other versus, you know, unstuck to thriving. I'm sure you get that question all the time, but can you say a little bit about your experience of that, because I would, you know, you are a successful person in the world and you have a family life. You are not out there and you talk about it openly. You're, you're strategic around both your career and your home life. You're not sacrificing one for the other. How do you do that? Yep. Oh, this is so exciting. And then we talked a little bit before we came on that, that I'm blessed to work with people across the spectrum, like you from people that want to end their life and are stuck as they can possibly get um, to people who are the most elite athletes, coaches. Um, you know, we talked about the fact I'm talking to the U.S. men's national soccer team a couple hours after this, you know, and elite military officers at a full spectrum. But what I've found is that the most ambitious men struggle the most the way I struggle, which is my energy. You know, I train, you know, my, my standard is uh, just as much as I need to, but a world-class athlete. Like my energy is really important to me. I eat, I move, I sleep, and it's easy for me. The work is, is I have all the challenges you'd expect, but it's easy. The hardest thing for me is my love. And then integrating those three things, energy, work, and love, is what my life is about. 
But Sigmund Freud said a good life comes down to two things, work and love. I say yes, and if your energy sucks because you're making bad choices, good luck in your work or your love. Um, But we need to prioritize that, and then we need to embrace the constraints of reality. Strong men don't make excuses, to put it directly again. We're in dialogue now with, with men that want to perform at an elite level and want to have deep intimacy. Don't make excuses. We've all, we all have 24 hours a day. What do you want? What do you want in your energy? What do you want in your work? What do you want in your love? And you need to embrace the constraints of reality, right? So there's 24 hours in a day. I'm in bed for eight, nine, 10 hours a day. I, and I go to bed after I put my kids to bed. I don't do anything other than show up powerfully in my energy, my work, and my love. I haven't had a TV for 20 years. I've made the choice. George St. Pierre, to use this for men. George St. Pierre was a garbage man. George St. Pierre, you may know, is one of the world's all-time best mixed martial artist fighters, UFC champion. All the guys listening to this know who George St. Pierre is. All-time great. He was a garbage man at one point. And he decided that he was going to be the best MMA fighter in history. He's going to be world champion. Um, His dad laughed at him. And then he decided that if he was going to do that, goosebumps, he's no longer going to the club with the guys on Friday night and Saturday night. And those weren't sacrifices. Those were decisions. So you need to decide what you want in life. And then you need to have a soul-aching goal, David Brooks, Stephen Covey, such a strong yes to certain things that you say no to the nonsense. And my joke to my guys that I coach is, let me follow you around for a day. And let me see if I can find a little bit more time. Can I find 5, 10, 15, 30, 45, 60 minutes that you're currently wasting that we can bring back to your energy, to your work, to your partner, to your kids? It's there. You're just lazy. And we need to get rid of that. And again, I'm having fun being direct because we're talking directly to men here who are listening to you to be the lovers that they want to be. Well, perfect. Show up. Have that strength. Conquer your fear. Conquer your laziness. And make it work. So what do you want? You want to be intimate with your yourself, with your wife and kids or whatever you've got, um, figure it out. And, and I've got, that's you know me being a tough guy about it. We've got systematic ways to architect a day. You've got an AM, you've got a PM. All right, well, what's important to you? Who are, who are you at your best? What do you do when you're at your best? Let's start systematically architecting that. But I'll tell you what, when I had my first kid, I got more done. Because all of a sudden, I couldn't waste all day. I, I, my wife and I laugh at, at people that don't have kids. They're like, wow, yeah, your cats don't count. Kids are an insane forcing function for prioritization. So all of a sudden, I don't have all the time in the world. And it's like, what's important to me? Oh, okay, shoot, I got to get it done because I want to be done by this point. Um, but you embrace the constraints of reality. You hold the high standards. And then you systematically design, back to that word, the life that you want to create. Never give up your agency, never complain, never criticize, um, figure it out. Uh, and again, there's so many systematic, beautiful tools that you share, that I'm trying, I'm trying to share, that, that great authors um, uh, you know, are sharing these days. But anyway, now I'm saying a lot. But that's, that's how I approach it, the big three. And there's specific things we can talk about um, on a number of those different themes, but I'll, I'll be quiet. I'm saying a lot. <laughs> that's okay. That's why you're here. Um... Well, one thing that I I did want to come back to was, you know, you talked about the presence of guides on the hero's journey, guides and buddies, as you, as you described, there are almost no hero's journeys that I can recall in stories, in myth, in life, 
where the hero is completely alone for the duration of their journey. There are elements, there are places, there are times when they're alone, but they almost always do have the crone, the wise woman. They almost yeah. always have the buddies, the the partners, the the um, friends, the support, the best friend, the whoever. I'm thinking of you know the Barbie movie. Weird Barbie was my favorite part of that movie. That there was yeah. a mentor and she was Weird Barbie. I was like, this is perfect. And what does Weird Barbie do at one point? She gives her a map. She gives the hero a map. She helps the hero on their journey. Can you say a little bit about that? Because I think it's easy in our culture to say, just do it. And, you know, you can do it and eliminate all these things. But most very successful people have support. And I'm not yep. just talking about um, partnership and love, but I'm talking about they have mentors. They have, I have yep. a somatic therapist I see every single week. I get things yep. that, you know, I, I am well supported so that I can support others. Can you say a little about that? Cause it does feel sometimes like men put a lot of pressure on themselves to do it all alone. And in yep. my experience, that doesn't work. It makes no sense. I mean, the most elite performers in the world have the most coaches you can think about it. And again, for men, the metaphor is sports almost always. I mean, look at the number of the, the higher you go, the more coaches you hire. You don't get rid of coaches, you bring in more coaches. So having the insane ambition, it's important that we own our ambition too, by the way. So men who aren't owning their ambition, good luck. Then you're just going to go spin out over here and you need to channel that and you need to get, you need to conquer your fear and your laziness. You need to figure out what you need to do to bring that to life. And the way you do that is through guides. So no question about it. I got two of my favorite heroes on my wall back here, Epictetus and Marcus Aurelius. Then I got Aristotle. Then below Aristotle, I got Phil Stotts. So Phil Stotts, again, Jonah Hill and him had a great conversation in the Netflix documentary called Stotts, um, in which they're trying to destigmatize the idea of going to, for Jonah, Phil was his therapist. For, for me, Phil's my coach. I've worked with Phil 400 times, 400 one-on-one -on -one sessions in the last seven years. No one has done that in the last seven, eight years. Um, he is my Yoda. He's my ultimate guide. And he tears my eyes. He's completely transformed my life. I feel so blessed to have him in my life. He is my Dumbledore. He is my Gandalf. Fill in whatever metaphor you want. He's made me a better man. And he's amazing. Full stop. And then I got my buddies. You know, I feel like you're one of my buddies right now. Here we go. You know, um, I got my wife. I got my team. I got my my best friends that are just setting a pace that I want to keep up to and surrounding myself with people who have these standards. And science is unequivocal. You can listen to this and you're getting wisdom, but you're also getting community. Just seeing the three of us, me and you and whoever's listening to this, we're in a community right now. And science says, goosebumps again. The fastest way to change your life is to join a community of people with high standards. So if you need to get rid of some, some buddies who are bringing you down, that's also usually part of the hero's story. There's the crowd that the hero slips back into that they need to move away from. And then why? So they can go back and help them. The hero becomes a guide. That's the ultimate arc. That's how we're going to change the world. And my ambition is unapologetic. I want to change the world. You do that by training heroes who become guides who train heroes, who become guides. You do that enough cycles through and you get somewhere, but you're spot on. You got to have the humility to check in, get help from someone you admire. Um, you, but you, you don't need to even get a therapist. Go read Aurelius, go read Epictetus, go read Ryan Holiday's Daily Stoic, read my book, read whatever you do. Find the guide, whether they're alive today or in pages. I, that's where I found most of my guidance until more recently with coaches and stuff. So the guides are there. 
mentors, guides, and then again, the buddies. But yeah, connection, love. Love is the hero's secret weapon. The word hero means protector in ancient Greek. It didn't mean tough guy. It meant protector. And a hero's secret weapon literally is love. So my source of, of my wisdom and discipline and courage is love. So we want to make that connection to ourselves, to um, those in our lives. Um, and that's where I get my strength or my desire to have the strength. It's for the people I love. Um, and, and, you know, going back to the porn addiction and all the other things, get clear on who you, who do you want to be a hero for? That's great motivation for me. And my kids are the most humbling little human beings, you know, me striving to be the man that I, I hope they aspire to be. And I, I fall short so often, you know what I mean? And, and yet, all right, let's use that as an opportunity to repair and to learn the lessons and to model the things I hope, wish my dad had taught me, you know, um, now I'm saying a lot again, but, but connection is so important. Guides, buddies, um, yes to all of it. And, and that's how we bring it, by the way, back into the love, intimacy with our intimate other. Um, and it's in that order. You come through, then you come through in the, in the bedroom, and it's a natural extension of it versus all the hacking of, you know, techniques and tactics and whatnot. It's empty without you being full as a man, knowing you're living a life of deep, authentic meaning, looking for a partner who's equally committed to living a life of deep, authentic meaning, then boom, your love for one another is in support of your evolution and actualization. And then the sexuality is a, it's a flowering of that, you mm -hmm. know, commitment to one another, et cetera. Um, yeah. And if my wife is here, by the way, she'd make fun of us for how rarely we have had sex over the last 11 years. Just to be clear, when you look at the things I'm dominating in my life, the sex life isn't it. Our joke was we have two kids. That's about right. They're four years apart. You know, <laughs> I slightly exaggerate, but not by much. Oh my goodness. Well, that's, it's interesting that you say that because, um, I, I feel like there's, um, a lot of different ways that we can value relationship and a lot of different things we can value in a relationship and all couples are different. All couples are kind of a micro, uh, what is the word? Um, ecosystem. Like they all have their own ecosystem and what works for them and what doesn't. And no one can actually know what's going on in your relationship, except the people that are in it. They're the only ones that really have the experience of being in it. And what works for some couples doesn't work for others and vice versa. So it's interesting because I've been starting to work with couples more. And one of the things that I've seen is, you know, eroticism, right? Sex connection doesn't always have to look the same way. It doesn't always have to look like P and the V, let's say, right? It can, it can be a lot of different things and it can bring a lot of energy to the relationship, but it doesn't always have to look the prescribed way that we think that it does. And I'm curious if you, you know, I, I guess I'm, I'm curious in your community when people are coming to you with, with goals and with strategies and with all of the, the things that they want, how often is sexuality or intimacy or connection part of what they're looking for? How often is that like, this is something that I'm really wanting? Do you find that secondary? Cause you, I think you work mostly with men. I have a story that you, there are more yeah. men than women, but that might not be true. Same conversation we were having before about the demographics, but it's actually surprisingly more evenly split okay. uh, across, you know, socioeconomic backgrounds and ages. I mean, I, 
the blessed, blessed. I can think of one woman in particular who wanted to end her life, found us, you know, 60 years old and just deep meaning. And the same exact things I'm talking about work for obviously anyone in any situation. Um, you know, not often is, is, is there are other people like you who are experts at that. And, but what I get a lot of is, Hey, I'm into this. They get into our coach program or into the app or whatever. And they're like, I'm really into it. And my, my spouse isn't right. And it's funny because we had a launch event for the book last weekend. And three years ago, a woman came up to me who was married to a guy in our program. And she said, you know, I, I hated you when the program started. I strongly disliked you. I'm like, no, I don't care. Cause her husband's turning off the TV. He's trying to get a good night of sleep. You know, he's proselytizing to her. He's like, I did not like you at all. But then he started changing. And he started becoming a better man and a better husband and a better father. And then she signed up for our program. But when we're trying, I often get people coming to me saying, my partner isn't doing X, Y, and Z, to which I say, perfect, don't care. Same response of, of Harvey Dorfman. Are you being the man or woman, but man in this case, who's worthy of that relationship? Or are you just complaining about all the things they're not doing and how they're not keeping up with your pace? Because you're a tough guy and you're all into this stuff. It's like, wait, wait, slow down, dude. You've got enough work to do on yourself. So, and I jokingly say, like, you're more work than you can handle. And then I can handle coaching you. Because the moment you bring in another person, the the complexity of that dynamic, and bless you, Melanie, for going there, goes up exponentially. So I simplify it all. And I say, hey, how's your eating? You're moving. You're, breath- you're sleeping. You're breathing. You're focusing. Are you living on purpose? Are you forging your anti-fragile confidence? Because that stuff will take care of itself more and more um, as you get the basic fundamentals done. Um, that's a long non-answer to your question, but that's how I approach it. And people know better now than to come to me. And I playfully tell them the same thing. My wife does some coaching too. It's like, yeah, you don't want to come to us for that one. But again, we've got our idiosyncratic raising a couple of little heroes right now, season of our life. And it is what it is. You got to make trades and, and decide, but then don't complain about it. What do you want? Go get it, you know, and um, constantly evolve as you get more data in. I appreciate what you said also about the woman who came to you at 60, because I have noticed recently that we've been working more and more with men that are 50s, 60s retirement age. And there's a big transition that happens for us as human beings over the course of our lives. There's lots of transitions, but one of them is meaning and purpose changes over the decades, over the, over the course of our lives. And we don't, we're not very good at talking about that as a culture either, but what's exciting is, you know, to a man, I would say that most of our clients have said, my only regret is not having done this work sooner. I wish Hmm. I had done this sooner. I wish I had done this in my twenties and thirties. And sometimes they'll be on the calls looking at the men in our community that are in their twenties and thirties and saying, good for you (laughs) way to be in here now, because I wish I had done this then but that that what i love about your work and what i love about what you're offering is a a way to get onto the path a way to do do the hero's journey because a lot of the men in our community say things like i don't know what my purpose is and yep. it stresses me out like i i do i think about it all the time but most of the thinking is ruminating and and trying to figure it out and it's not necessarily embodied. And it's more like, I should know this by now. Why don't I know this by now? Or like, I'm thinking of one of the men in our community who is recently retired, semi-retired, kind of moving into full retirement. And he's having a lot of these same questions. 
what is my purpose now? What am I doing with myself? What is what is the point, right? What it, what am I actually up to? And I think that's one of the things that I really admire about your work. And maybe we can transition to the book now because I do think that there's you sort of offer a way of like, let me help you figure that out. And it's not going to be all from your head, right? It's going to be a lot of, you know, what you're talking about of let's get your energy handled. Let's get, you know, connection. And, and that's part of how you come to your purpose. It's not just like it arrives one day from the sky. It comes from an embodied human being who's actually fully alive. And it's not, it's not just, yeah, it's not something that's handed down on high. It's something that you're going to discover, but it feels like you kind of help people in that process of discovering. So can you say a little about the book and then can you maybe give an example or two of what people have sort of come to of like, oh, my purpose is fill in the blank. If you have some of those offer, cause I'm yeah, curious. Yeah let's say that 60 year old woman, what, what did she come up with? Yeah, I love it. So then the book is called Arate wearing the t-shirt, got the tattoo. So I've got Arate on this arm and then I've got heroic on this arm, but Arate just to frame it up, it's the one word answer the ancient Stoics would have given you if you asked them how to have a good life. And most men these days are either into or getting into Stoicism. Perfect. Well, if you asked Aurelius, Epictetus, or Seneca, or go back to the Greeks, Aristotle, Socrates, Plato, how to live a good life, they would have told you, Arte, again, virtue or excellence is what the word means. Um, but it's basically being yourself, best self, moment to moment to moment. To me, that's the universal ultimate purpose. So it's easy to say, I don't know my purpose. I'm telling you, your purpose is to be your best, most heroic self. Now, you need to figure out the idiosyncratic expression of that. But you, moment to moment to moment to moment to moment to moment, have a choice. Are you going to step up and be your best self and live that purpose right now or not? Because that's all your life is, is a series of moments, obviously, but you got to get engaged in that. But anyway, we talk about knowing the ultimate game, objective one. Then we help them forge anti-fragile confidence. Rule number one, it's supposed to be hard. Here's how you build trust. Rule no- or Objective three is the big three, energy, work, and love, simplifying self-development. Um, and then objective four is make today a masterpiece. So most people, someday, no, no, today's the day. New Year's resolutions are nice. We have our people make new day's resolutions, recommit, make today a masterpiece. And then objective five, we talked about master yourself, the art and science of behavioral change. Nothing is more important than discipline, by the way. Um, it's what drives the show. It's how you show up lovingly, even when you don't feel like it. So that's important to understand and to master. Then objective six is dominating the fundamentals, eating, moving, sleeping, breathing, focusing. And then objective seven is the byproduct of those. You've activated your superpower. We call it soul force, moral charisma. That's the ultimate game. That's the ultimate purpose of life. When you play that game well, your idiosyncratic kind of um, chosen hero's journeys within the meta hero's journey and purpose in quotes comes into more clarity. Um, But we can hit that in a million different ways. uh, and it's hard work. I mean, I think there's a naivete that, oh, I don't know it. So F it. I'm going to go numb myself with my alcohol or my porn or my sports or my whatever. And you got to slow down again, wake up, realize this isn't a dress rehearsal. I've got a bunch of exercises on that. And then the practical exercises fast forward three to five years and imagine your best self three to five years from now. Imagine your best self. You're energized, you're productive, you're connected. Heroically so. Um, See it. This is a scientifically proven exercise to build your hope, which a lot of people also lose, um, and start chipping away. 
it'll be fuzzy when you start, right? And even now, even I can answer that question, but now I've I've hammered through my own. I've got a 25 year goal and mission tattooed my arm, you know? So now I'm all in every moment of my life is directed toward the same end. But that's a function of, I have done an insane number of reps on the questions that we're talking about right now. And I've shown up, I've done the hard work. Any athlete we admire or performer, those guys in this context, talking to men, dominate the fundamentals. They don't make excuses. They show up and they do the most basic things day in and day out reflecting on these questions, optimizing their energy to have the psychology where they needed to be um, and clarifying their purpose. Again, that's a long non-answer to your question. But I think when you really understand the ultimate purpose and you start working that, you naturally get more clarity on, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm going to go around a triathlon. That's how I'm going to get into shape. Or I'm going to do a Spartan race. Or I'm going to quit that job and get this job. Or I'm going to end that relationship or start this relationship. And the little moments that you talked about, the healthy risk-taking, become a dominant part of your psychology. You're approaching your challenges more. And as my coach says, action drives creativity. Everyone wants to take action once they know every single thing. No, action drives creativity. Take action, get data, get more clarity, then stay in action. Um, And you do that long enough, and you accrete more and more clarity day in and day out. And your life takes on uh, more substantive joy and meaning and, and the confidence is built and it becomes a lot more fun, you know? Well, I love that you brought up fun because one of the things that's the most fun about my job is when <laughs> when my men say things like, yeah, I heard your voice in my head. And so I just went over there and talked to her. And I really uh, love that because to me, that's part of the point of having trustable guides or having trustable figures in our lives that we sense care about us, even if they don't know us personally. I mean, with my men, they do know me personally, but there's something really lovely. Like I imagine people in your community hearing your voice in their head and being like, all right, yeah, I'm going to do the tough thing. I'm not going to watch, watch the TV show that I want to watch. I'm going to feel the feelings because there are obviously there are some feelings here. I'm going to sit and I'm going to feel the feelings instead of making that other choice. And that's, I think part of you know, I think about the interconnected web a lot and the the field of energy that connects all of us. And I think that's one of the one of the bright spots is the fact that we can we can impact a lot of people by the choices we make and who we are. And when we are connected to, like you said, our soul force, it it doesn't just affect us, it affects everyone around us without us necessarily having to do quote unquote do a lot. So the yep. fact that someone might hear my voice in their head or your voice in their head and then make that kind of choice. Like you said, often those heroes become guides. And that's something that I've seen repeatedly in our men is that they do tend to go and, and now they're at a different level of consciousness and the people around them notice and they become guides for the people around them. And, and then the work spreads like a healthy, happy virus (laughs) in the viral in the best sense of that word. It's so good. Ralph Waldo Emerson's on this wall. We named my son, our son, after Ralph Waldo Emerson. And he says, who you are speaks so loudly. I cannot hear what you say. So who you are is speaking so loudly to the women in your life, women slash prospective women in your life, um, your kids, again, your clients, your colleagues. So that essence of of embodying these ideas um, with the guides we're blessed to have, you being one of the the you know, significant ones, unquestionably for listeners of your show and 
it's exciting, you know, and it's a, it's a sacred um, obligation from my mind that that is what fuels my work. And I think that when we can connect to that purpose, that purpose by definition is bigger than yourself. That's the other thing people get wrong. It's all myopic. It's all about me and how am I doing? Well, how are the people you love doing? And how are they being affected by what you're choosing to do or not? That's a humbling, sobering question to ask, but build the strength for two. And that 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 ultimately is, is um, I mean, it's the very definition of purpose. It has to be about more than you. Like it, it, this isn't a narcissistic check me out and yeah, I got the six pack on Instagram. It's no, no, no. I'm deeply committed to you, my partner, to again, whoever else is in your in your life. Um, but I love it. Yeah, I get a lot of uh, a lot of jokes about that. I'm not usually encouraging them to be in touch with their feelings. That's your job. I'm telling them, what do you want? What do you need to do to go get it? Come on, you got your 10 seconds of whining. Let's go. Anyway, I kid. You 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 frame it to tame it, as Dan Siegel would say, my good friend. I'm not about ignoring emotions, but I like to frame it. All right, cool. I can name it and label it, and then we go, uh, we go, uh, we go do what needs to get done. You know. <laughs> Oh, the eternal dance, the, the dance of polarity and duality. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> the yin and yang, as we say. Yeah. Well, um, this was great. Where can people find you and what are you up to that you want them to know about? Yeah, so the two big things for me are tattooed on my body. I got Arte on one arm. That's the name of our book. You can find that. Um, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. I get a kick. We're in FedEx. I, I think that's the funniest thing ever. I'm like, I've always kind of wanted a book in FedEx, but whatever. Um, you can learn more about the book at heroic.us slash book. If you're not ready to buy it yet, we've got um, Phil Stutz wrote the foreword. You can get a sample of the book and the audio book and all that. And then Heroic is our is our um, app. So it's a social training platform. So we're building an alternative to Facebook, connecting people engaged in these conversations, but connecting it to training and actually getting you to move from theory to practice to mastery together. Um, so I'm excited to talk with you more about 2024 and what we're going to do. But you can learn more about Heroic at heroic.us, us, or just search Heroic um, in your iOS or Android apps. We're the training platform, Heroic, um, the training platform. You can check it out. And um, that's what I'm up to. Other than that, I'm going to a chess tournament with my son, who I talk about a lot in the book. He wants to be a grandmaster. So he and I get to have fun going on weekend trips, boys only. That'll be this weekend. Uh, but life is good. Feeling blessed and, and so enjoyed connecting. And I'm so thrilled that um, uh, Abe and I were already connected. And I'm sorry, your man and I were already connected. Um, so life is good. Thank you. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> that was great. Oh my gosh.